the one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. For God is love. For God is love. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. This commandment we have from him. The one who loves God should love his brother also. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. Dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. We certainly ought to love each other. Perfect love for God is love. For God is love. Thank you so much, choir, for leading us beautifully, beautifully today. Thank you, Sarah, for making my wife cry. Thank you. We open God's Word today to the book of 1 John, beginning in the fourth chapter in the seventh verse. 1 John 4, 7, encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word or on the screen behind me. 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love also abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should also love his brother. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into this place that is dedicated for your worship and for your glory. We thank you for every gift, and as we listen to the words of John, we are reminded that above all, we thank you for your love, your patience, your long-suffering, your endurance, your perseverance. When we fall and fail, we thank you for your love. And above all, we thank you for the love that we have 
seen through Jesus Christ. Be with us in this hour, Father, so that we might hear your voice, feel your spirit, and know your will for our lives. We pray these things humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. I spent some time in Walmart this week, and um, I was looking, of course, like many of you, for a Valentine's Day card. And as I looked at some of the cards, I got to tell you, some of them kind of surprised me. There's a great difference between kind of the idea of uh, Christian love and a Walmart love or cultural love. For instance, here's one card that I found. I love you more than my iPhone. Wow, that's love. Or, or, Or this one. If you knew how much I loved you, you'd call the cops. Maybe cross the line a little bit there, something a little bit troubling. Of course, you get to a certain age and love matures. It changes a little bit over a lifetime. I thought this card represented this well. Like this one, I I like you and naps. (laughs) I get that, you know? It's succinct, it's to the point it prioritizes. And sometimes you find the perfect valentine. Here's one that Sandy got me uh, this year. I thought this was especially good. You are hotter than Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and Johnny Depp all put together. (laughs) That's right. That's truth. Well, maybe not. But this is the greatest truth that I know, that you and I are created for love. A few weeks ago, we started a series about uh, the DNA, what makes it up, what's our purpose in life, and we started out by saying we're created for praise. We're not going to find joy and happiness in our life until we can kind of lift our eyes off of ourselves and, and just know that we're created for praise. In the same way, we are created for love, first to love our Heavenly Father and then to love one another. And I believe in the same way, we won't be happy. We're not going to complete. We're not going to be fulfilled until we embrace this great truth. We are created for love. Now, Walmart love or cultural love is very different than what we read about in 1 John. Cultural love seems to be based upon feelings. It's based upon kind of what I get, a sense of self-gratification. And that's that's the thesis. That's the premise. That's the purpose that John is writing about in this section. 1 John 4, 7 makes it clear. This is his introduction to this section. Beloved, let us love one another. So who is the Apostle Paul or Apostle John talking to? He's talking to the beloved of God. He's encouraging the, the family of believers. That's you and me. I was thinking this morning, you know, how wonderful it is that he is calling you and I the beloved because You know, when in the Gospel of John, that's the way he writes about himself, the apostle that Jesus loved. He was the beloved. And now he passes that on to the first readers of this letter, but also to us. We are the beloved of God. And so he's encouraging us as beloved that we should now love one another. In verse 9, he begins to describe what this love will look like. It's a very different kind of love. First John 4, 9, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And I was really drawn to that word manifested this week. I, I went and looked it up, and it's the Greek word phaneru, and, and it means that God has shown his love to us through Jesus Christ. He has revealed it. He has manifested it. He has shown it. He has displayed it. And so in the strongest possible terms now, he is saying because God has manifest his love through Jesus Christ, he has loved us in this way. It's almost the sign of the cross, isn't it? God has loved us this way. Now we are supposed to manifest, we are supposed to reveal that love that we have received in the same way to one another. I just stop right now and say we understand for those that have been members of the family of faith for some time that this is not unique. This is not a complicated theological concept. We know this. For instance, we remember the words of the Apostle Paul writing to the beloved, to the family of faith at Philippi about their relationship with one another. Paul says... Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, we... Love, being loved. We, our hearts are filled when we start to think about the way that God has loved us through Jesus Christ. But that's not what this passage is directly about. What he's really saying is that the way that Christ has loved us, now you at Philippi, now you in Sanford, are supposed to manifest that love in the same way. You are supposed to love one another the same way that Jesus has loved you. And he then goes down the list, which is very specific. He says, be humble. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was going through this, the, the idea if we were members of a club or we were members of an organization, the longer that we are members of that club or organization, the more rights, the more privileges that we accumulate. It's absolutely opposite in that in the family of faith. The longer that we are members of the family of God, the more that we are concerned about others, the less mature, the more uh, less emphasis we have on ourselves, and the more emphasis we have on the immature, the younger Christians, or those that have not yet accepted Christ. Be humble before one another. Do nothing out of selfishness or conceit. Regard not only your own needs, but those of others. Don't look out just for your interest, but for the interest of others. And again, we stop and we say, you know, this is not new information for most of us. This isn't unique. This isn't a complicated theological concept. Even the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about relationships between a husband and a wife, it's a very much the same thing. How are we to love each other in this microcosm of this, this, this test bed that we have between husband and wife, this practical exercise? Ephesians 5.21 says this, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, 
Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking, you know, so often men throughout the centuries have gone to Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. End of sermon. That's not the way it should be. We look at the overarching comment, be subject to one another. Consider the needs of the other is more important to yourself. Now, wives, here's your responsibilities. Husbands, here's your responsibilities. And this, in this way that you learn to love your spouse, you're going to learn to love God. The way that you learn to love what you can see is the way that you learn to love God that you cannot see. And men, we remember, how is it that Christ loved the church? Well, he gave his life for the church. Even death, death on a cross. Now, I want to draw your attention to something in all three of these passages. In 1 John, in Philippians, in Ephesians, I want you to note that in all three of these passages, the idea of feeling is never introduced there's no emotion that's ever stressed here. This kind of love is not a feeling. It's not a preference. But what I want you to hear is that this kind of love is a deliberate, purposeful, conscious choice. It's almost a, a stubbornness. If, if there's anything that we should be stubborn about in the Christian church is that we should be so stubborn that we're going to be stubborn to love one another. If we're going to fight about something, it's to put the needs of the others before your own. And I can prove this. In the, in the life of Jesus, these, this kind of love has nothing to do with feelings. Listen to the story of Jesus the night before his crucifixion recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And he, Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him and being in agony. There's the feeling. This isn't an ooey-gooey, if I feel like it, what I get out of it kind of love. Here's the feeling. Jesus is in agony and he was praying fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And, and this isn't a metaphor. This isn't a hyperbolic statement. He's not speaking over the top. This is the corpuscles under the skin exploding because of the emotional agony that Jesus knew what he was about to endure. And so I ask you, does it feel like, does it sound like Jesus felt like enduring the pain of the cross. No. But love compelled him. For the sake of love, he bore the sins of the world to include yours and mine. As we sing together, May our hearts truly explore, consider the great sacrifice, the love of Jesus. How great his love.
for you and for me. such trouble. I completely forgot Valentine's Day, and now I've got to find the perfect car to try to, try to make up for it. Ah, uh, me too. I'm looking for the perfect car. I'm gonna, let's see if I can find it. Uh, there it is, right there. Wait. You found it? How did you find it so quick? Hey, I'm well-versed in the language of the ladies. I'm the white whisperer. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you mind if I just see your card? Oh, sure. Let me just take a look. Sugar is sweet, and so is honey. That's a good start, right? I bought you this car because I've got no money. <laughs> oh, no. Jeff, you cannot give that to Rachel. You can't give that to Rachel. That'll crack her up. She'll love it. That's the way you want to communicate love to your wife, to the mother, to your children, by cracking her up? She'll think it's funny. What would you put in this car? I want a perfect car. I want the car to say, you're a better person than I am. The first time I met you, I knew you were the one for me. You're the best person I've ever known. I want to love you. I want to know you. I want to understand you. That's what I want my card to say. That is beautiful, man. I want the card to say, you know what? I want to love you like God has, God has loved me. Now that would be a card that is, that is worthy. Whoa, whoa, what's wrong? Look away. Whoa, whoa. I don't want you to see me cry. You don't what's don't look at me. I don't want you to see me cry. Wait, what's, what's going on? Your words are like cannonball in the swimming pool of my life. Really? Oh. Hey, wait. I have an idea. Let's take some blank cards and write those words down. Ooh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Hey, and write them in calligraphy. Women love that. I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Your words will be the wings on which our cards fly. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so. What were those words again? Well, they weren't actually my words. Well, whose words were they? they Shakespeare? Browning? Dickinson? They're actually John's. You know, John of the Bible. John said that, my beloved, if God has loved us like this, certainly we ought to love one another. And Jeff, he wasn't just talking about loving our wives. He was talking about loving all people about love. Wow. He called that perfect love. I need to get a pen and write this down. Man, that is money. That's worth a Sunday of basketball. Yeah. Maybe this card thing's not such a good idea. Maybe just be it about it. What was that in the Bible again? 1 John 4, 7. Just be the Valentine. Yeah, okay. So I wonder if they sell calligraphy supplies here. And the Academy Award goes to, wow, that's an interesting shade of red. That's great. <laughs> he is so red. Thank you, Jeff. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. That's the premise. That's the thesis. There's no doubt that each one of us, we love to be loved, don't we? It fills our heart when we consider the, the love that God has poured out through Jesus Christ. We, we feel that sacrifice when we, we sing. The Spirit lifts our, our heart as we understand that God loves us. Most of us know the, 
the Greek word for love. I mean, again, this isn't new information. We've heard the word agape. We understand that it is a, a self-sacrificing love, a giving love, of, of, of considering the other person as more important. This isn't new to us. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that we don't understand. The problem is that we have a hard time fulfilling these words. Almost three weeks ago, I posted this passage on Facebook, the same passage in a different translation. It says it this way, if anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the person, the God, the God that he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Love God includes loving people. You've got to do both. What surprised me, caught me off guard, were the instantaneous and heartfelt responses. One person simply said, sometimes it's hard. Another friend from my very first church, she responded back almost immediately, it's very hard. And then she put a little sad face. And I just, in those two words, in that one little emoticon, I just felt like, man, she's She's struggling. Perhaps my favorite response was this. There are lots of people I have trouble liking, but I do not hate anyone. I talk to God every day about the ones I have trouble liking. It hurts too bad to hate. You know what? I find every one of those comments incredibly biblical. We struggle to love one another the way that Jesus Christ loves us. And yet it hurts our soul, our heart, our, our spirit when we hold on to anger, when we hold on to hate, when we hold on to unforgiveness. Why? Because we are created for love. We love to be loved, but we are also created to give that same love. And so we cry out to John, help us, tell us how we can love like Jesus. And so he does. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. I think that's our first handhold of faith. Jesus, the Christ who never sinned, sacrificed himself for a sinner like me. How then can I withhold love to others? In that acknowledgement that what he has done, how can I refuse then to forgive others? Do you remember the story of the, of the, of the one that is indebted to his master? He owes a, a great sum of money, almost an impossible amount of money. And he, and he comes before his Lord and, and he says, forgive me. And the Lord shows mercy. Do you remember the response? But that same slave went out and found one of his <clears throat> fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, a relatively small amount, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all <clears throat> that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? We who have been forgiven so much, 
We who have been loved so much. Now, how can we withhold love to another? A second handhold, 1 John 4, 16. God is love, and the one who abides in love, abides in God, also abides in him. L- loving Jesus is hard. We, we see that. But my Facebook friend knew and had it absolutely right. He said, I talk to God every day about the ones I have trouble liking. Do you know what the biblical word for that is? It's the word abiding. It's the one that John uses. It's, it's talking to God and listening. I just want to ask you, you know, if you're struggling with unforgiveness today, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Who are you abiding with? You know, because the temptation is to go and to find, you know, that one or two other people that kind of has the same spirit, maybe has the same attitude, and you can kind of feed off of each other. Who are you abiding with? I'll tell you who we abide most with, who we talk most with. We talk to ourselves, don't we? We play the tape over and over in our head how we've been offended, how we have our rights, and how we are the hero of our own story, and they're the evil enemy. Please listen, based upon my personal experience, and more importantly on the Word of God, it will not help. Playing those same unforgiving tapes over and over is just a cycle that will never heal. I have known people that, you know, I I would preach a sermon on forgiveness and they'll come up after church and say, I will never forgive them. You don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. No, I don't, but I know what Jesus did for me. You don't know what she did. She's been dead 10 years. Why are you still holding unforgiveness? The only one you're hurting is you. And my friend is right. There are lots of people we may have trouble liking, but I do not hate anyone, he said. I talk to God every day about the ones I have trouble liking because why, oh, let these words resound in you. It hurts too bad to hate. Why? Because we are created for love. So what's the value? What's the the payoff for loving one another? Some of what John says is self-evident, and some of it is a bit startling. Verse 13 says this, By this we know that we abide in him, and he is in us, because he has given us of his spirit. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Certainly, peace in the body is a great reward. Does, do you know anyone that really wants to live in chaos? And wouldn't we all rather live in peace? But John goes on. He says, abiding with Jesus by practicing this love, although it's sometimes difficult, it's going to get easier, and it's even going to be perfected. John says that this very fact that you love brothers is a proof that you are children of God. You know, if a police officer pulled me over uh, and said, hey, is is this your car? I can say, yeah, I have proof. I have registration. Well, is that really you? Yeah, I have a driver's license. This is proof of who I am. You know what John is saying? Are you a Christian? Yes, I am, sir. How do you know? I have proof. Why? What's your proof? That you love one another. 
And because of this proof, John says, you will have no fear of judgment when Christ returns. Because why? You know you're his. Not that we do this perfectly, but that we're working on it. We're abiding. We're listening to the Spirit. We're living with him. And this proves that we're Christ. And then John goes even further, saying something I would likely not have the courage to say if it wasn't found in the Scriptures. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We, we love to be loved. We love to receive love. We praise God for his sacrificial love. We raise holy hands in praise of Jesus' gift. He laid down his life for you. And in return, as you are his, Jesus asks. In fact, he commands. Love one another. It's not a choice. It's not a feeling. John 13, a new commandment, the words of Jesus. I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So he calls us this very day to choose love so that we might live in peace. Choose love so that we might live in unity. Choose love so that fear might be cast out. Choose love to prove that you are his. Choose love so that the world may see that you are different and be drawn to the Savior. Because there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because Fear involves judgment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. We love to be loved. Amazing love. How can that be? How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? How will you respond to such love? Choose love. As we sing this last song, may this be our invitation. Perhaps you don't know Christ as Savior yet. This could be your day. Perhaps you're struggling with something. Maybe the Spirit spoke to you through the music today. Come, kneel at the altar. If you need a hand to pray with, we'll be here. This is your invitation, your opportunity to respond. We love because he first loved us.